Good morning. I, I think I'm a little bit of an example of what happens when you aren't on a, a regular attendance with one congregation. Uh, you know, I feel like when I'm doing this every other week, traveling to D.C. and then coming back, I, I feel a little bit out of sync. Um, on that last song, I, uh, I would be honest with you, just as I opened the song, I was thinking, okay, well, when, once Ray gets started on this, I think I'll pick up the rhythm. <laughs> and then that's why when you looked at me, Ray, I was thinking, wait, I was waiting for you to start this off because it seemed like I was familiar with the chorus a little bit, but not that first part. But thank you. As a congregation, we did it. We worked through it. And I think that's what Mindy was talking about in her thank you that, you know, it's obviously as Christians, we need the community, the Christian community of prayer, support, encouragement. Um, and that's why. I would encourage each of you to attend with us and get the strength from each other. Also, I was a little bit of missed talking how I'm a little bit offbeat this morning. Um, the announcement I gave you was I was thinking monthly, this is weekly, Friday night sings. What I passed over, and I, I want to make sure you're aware, as it says in our bulletin, that Friday, July 8th, will be at Streetsboro, and that... Friday, July 15th, will be at Ravenna. So I want to make sure you know, you're aware of that. Now starting off. Years ago, I read the story of a man by the name of Wally who owned a farm in Connecticut. He had a remarkable talent with birds, specifically chickadees. It seems that every morning these little birds would flutter down and land on his hands, and it wasn't just for food. He would talk to them, he would almost mimic and sing with them. And they seemed like they enjoyed his companionship. One woman who visited was so enthralled by what she saw, she asked permission to try and get these birds to do the same thing for her. She practiced for weeks, but never got one bird to land on her hand. Then one day, she tried something different. She put on Wally's cap, on her head, she wrapped herself in his Mackinac coat. Seconds later, she was covered with birds. They came to her because their trust for Wally was so much more that they even trusted his scent on his clothes. This morning, I'd like to look at trust. It's definitely a valuable commodity. We think about Independence Day, tomorrow being July 4th. Tomorrow is called the 4th of July. In the United States, it commemorates the passage of the Declaration of Independence by the con Congregation uh, for the Continental Congress on July 4th, 1776. The belief at that time by those individuals who wrote up that declaration was to establish a nation who trusted in God. We see that printed on the coins. It says, in God we trust. People rarely give trust. Usually it's something that is earned. But without having trust in someone or something, it's hard to do anything in this life, isn't it? We trust that our cars will start. Have you ever gotten in your car, put the key in the ignition, and then have it not start? You trust that your tires will have air. And that's always an interesting thing when you start up your car. 
and you go to move, and you realize that one of your tires is flat. How did it make you feel? You expected it to start. You expected it to have air. We know that it has done that hundreds of times before, but now it doesn't work. You trusted it to be able to start when you needed it. You trusted that your grocery stores would have food. You never thought there would be a day or a time that you couldn't find toilet paper. Or today, baby formula. Or even peanut butter now. When you have trouble around the house, you trust that the policemen and firemen will be able to protect you. You trust in your individual friends that they will be there for you. That our church family will lift us up in prayer and be there. They will be there in moments of joy as well as sadness. Trust is woven into the very fabric of our lives. Without trust, we can hardly function. So the question is, what do you trust? Who do you trust and why? The story we're looking at today is a story about trust or possibly the lack of it. I'd like to look at 1 Kings. Our text is actually 1 Kings 16 and 17, chapter 16 and 17 of 1 Kings. I will take a variety of verses in that area. I'd like to start with 1 Kings 16, verses 29 to 33. It tells us in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omrah, became the king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel about 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ebal, king of the Sidians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger them, did all the kings of Israel before him. Ahab was a wicked king. But he was not just a wicked king. You would say overall, he was a very wicked man. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 25 tells us the following. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, who urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So Ahab was a wicked king and a very wicked man. But what made him so wicked? It's interesting when you read the stories of the Old Testament. It seems like these kings each, in many many times, it would say that the following king was even more evil than his father or the one preceding him. Well, this king, he trusted in the wrong things. We're told that he built a temple to the pagan god Baal in Samaria. And that he erected Asherah poles for the worship of that goddess. 
God repeatedly stressed how foolish the worship of these and other gods was. Tom talked about last week in his sermon, The Fools, and how this was very foolish. It was a foolish worship. Isaiah 46, in Isaiah 46, verses 5, 6, and 7, God declared, To whom will you compare me or count me equal? To whom will you liken me that we may be compared? Some pour out gold from their bags and weigh out silver on the scales. They hire a goldsmith to make it unto a god, or into, I should say, into a god, and they bow down and worship it. They lift it up to their shoulders and carry it. They set it up in its place, and there it stands. From that spot, it cannot move. Though one cries out to it, the image itself does not answer. It cannot save him from his troubles. These were not just false gods. They were evil gods in whom Ahab put his trust. Part of the worship of Baal was the sacrifice of your own children to please this false god. And the religious activity of male and female prostitution was part of the worship to these false gods. So Ahab trusted these false and evil gods. But the reason he trusted these gods was because he trusted the wrong person. He married Jezebel. Have you ever heard of the name Jezebel? How many of you would name your own daughter Jezebel? This woman was so despised in scriptures that to this day, her name is still a symbol of treachery and of wickedness. Ahab trusted the wrong things, and he entrusted the wrong people. And most tragically of all, he didn't trust God. So God decided it was time to teach Ahab a lesson in trust. We know that trust is based upon a track record. If I tell you I'm going to do something, and then I don't do it, and I repeat that practice over and over, oh yeah, don't worry, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. We probably know individuals who do that. I know that Mrs. Steele told me years ago, if your mouth was hinged like your back, a lot more work would get done. There's a lot of people that can do the lip surfaces, they say. But you wouldn't trust them after repetitively having that person tell you that I'll do it, trust me, I'll do it, and then they don't accomplish that. But if I tell you I'm going to do something, and that's exactly what I do, and I repeat that, where I tell you and I will do it, you get that phrase, he's a man of his word. Or you can trust that individual to do it. If they said they'll do it, they'll do it. God wants Ahab to trust him. So he sends Elijah with a basic message, doesn't he? He says, Elijah Elijah is supposed to say, trust me on this. I'm going to make life very uncomfortable for you. Until Elijah comes to you again, there will be no rain nor dew on the land. Every year, we know our farmers watch anxiously 
to see how much rain will fall on their crops. If there's too much, the crops drown. If there's too little, some of the crops dry up and die. But if there's no rain at all, we know that all the crops will die. Some of us currently probably have brown lawns because of the lack of rain that we recently experienced. The book of James, though, in chapter 5, verse 17, tells us that Elijah was a man just like us. But he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Hmm. Three and a half years without rain. Very long time. Three and a half years of drought is enough to turn a paradise into a wasteland. And three and a half years of dryness can make men and kings desperate enough to do anything, to try to do anything to change the weather. Even to the extent of killing a prophet. So God sent Elijah on an extended vacation, you would say. And that, of course, is where we meet the ravens of the story. God has Elijah hide near the brook, down by the Jordan River, and that's where he lives for the next couple of years. And while he was hiding there, what do we read in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 6? It tells us that the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. Now, this is odd for several reasons. First, ravens don't generally like being around humans. They avoid humans as much as possible. Secondly, ravens are unclean birds. God's people were not allowed to eat them, nor offer them in sacrifice. The food of ravens has usually been dead for a while. They are considered scavengers. They're kind of like vultures. Now think about that. Who would want to share food with them? The food that they are eating. Even if we wanted to share their food, ravens would never share it. They would even share their food with their babies, from what I understand. Once a young, uh, from what I understand, once a young raven is able to fly, it's kicked out of the nest. And it has to fend for itself. No matter how much the young raven cries out to its parents to bring food, it's on its own. Apparently, that's an uncommonly cruel trait, not shared by many other birds. So here, God has Elijah being fed by unclean, disgusting, what we would consider antisocial and notorious cruel birds. Why would he do that? Why would God use raisins to, uh, ravens to supply Elijah with food where there were so many other simple and satisfying ways of getting the job done? There are several reasons why people end up not trusting God on his word, isn't there? Sometimes people refuse to trust God's word because they want God, they want a God that they think they can understand on their own terms. If they can't understand something about him, it can't be true. They want their God to be able to fit 
into their own little small box on what they think God should be like. They put walls around him, and they tell him, you can't exist outside of this little box of how I envision you. A minister was once confronted by an atheist who was also one of his students. The young man told his minister, for me to believe in God, I have to have a God that I can understand. The minister replied, God refuses to be that small. So sometimes people refuse to trust in God and his word because because it doesn't fit inside their little small box. Other times people refuse to trust God and his word because like King Ahab, they've listened to the wrong people. We think about the people that influence us. I remember growing up, there were times that my parents would suggest that I play with somebody different. Maybe the people I was hanging out with was a poor influence on me. As I get older and as I'm a parent, you think about there are individuals that I'm sure that I try to to maybe guide my people away from, my family members. There are people today, no matter what avenue we're on, There are probably people that we like hanging out with more than others. We think about the influence that individuals can have on us. And we see King Ahab fell into that, didn't he? He spent time with skeptics and scoffers who maybe made him ashamed of his faith and doubt in God. Other times, people refuse to trust God's word because they've been hurt. They didn't God didn't help them the way they wanted to be helped by the way they thought God should handle incidences. So they turned their back on God. Still, other people refuse to trust God's word because they fall into sin. They've done things they shouldn't do, and because God's word condemns that particular behavior or lifestyle, they try to disarm God. They try to dull his right to judge them because if God's word is wrong or something they can ignore, they feel that God's word is unreliable to them. So they try to minimize God's word. The problem with these approaches to God's word is that it puts each and every one of us in danger. If you can't trust God, you've got to trust something. Something has to step in where God has been thrown out. That's really what happened to King Ahab, isn't it? He didn't trust the God of Israel. So he turned his back to other gods and suffered for it. It has been said that it is often supposed that when people stop believing in God, they believe in nothing. Alas, it is worse than that. Because think about this. When they stop believing in God, they believe in anything or everything than just what God would say. Without God, the only standard of trust, of right and wrong, is what appeals to me. And that's a shifting standard, isn't it? It all depends on what I want, what I like, what I accept, and what pleases me. We can see that in the news. Why do certain things happen? Because 
individuals felt that it was more important for them personally than for society as a whole. But scripture says, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. My standards are all warped. My morality is riddled with impurity. And if I base what I trust on that warpedness or that impurity, then I'm going to embrace whatever allows me to do what I want to do. I would say it's insanity. When I stop stop trusting in God and God's word, I start to believe anything. And eventually, that will lead me directly to destruction. But now, by contrast, if I trust in God of Scripture, I no longer am led by my righteousness and my holiness. Instead, I'm trusting a God who is so holy and so righteous that my tendency will be built around him, that my life and my standards will be built around his rather than around me. I'll use his standards of right and wrong, not mine. I'll build on his morality of life, not mine. I'll build on his expectations for me, not mine. And I know that if I trust in him in these matters, I will be blessed. But first, I have to decide whether I trust him or not. And that leads me to my final point that I'd like to make today. And that is the question that plagued me most of this week. Why would God use ravens to minister to Elijah? He could have done it more pleasantly and more easily some other way. Why would he use ravens? Well, when the brook dried up where he was at, God had Elijah move on. God asked him to go approach a poor widow in Zarephath to house and to feed him. Now think about this. The widow had no food to share. What little food she had, she was preparing for a final meal for her son and herself. And then they were probably going to die. And Elijah had to ask her to share the final meal with him. Why didn't God send Elijah to someone else who at least had some food? Why? Human reasoning. Why? Man would say. For the same reason God sent the ravens to feed Elijah in the desert. He had to show Elijah his power, didn't he? We see in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 13, 14, and 15. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord gives rain unto the land. It will not dry up until the day the Lord gives rain. And remember, three and a half years is the span that rain hasn't come. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. Now you can't convince me that God's sole purpose in having the widow feed Elijah 
was simply so that he could have something to eat. So what other reason could God have had? Trust. He built trust in Elijah. God wanted to strengthen Elijah's trust in him. Second Chronicles 16 and 9 tells us, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We see that God got Elijah into situations where he had no choice but to trust him. Because when there is a drought, and when that drought was over, God was sending Elijah back to confront Ahab. And when Elijah went back, he had to be able to know that he could trust God. This whole time in exile was designed by God so that Elijah would trust him and his standing. We see all the examples given in the Old Testament. We see the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. These are given for us, as it says at the end of John, the Gospel of John. These things are written for our edification so that we can see what Jesus stood for so that we can see what Jesus taught, so we could see the standard that we need to follow and trust in. But it also goes on to say that many more things were done that couldn't be written down because if they were to write everything down, the world couldn't actually hold all of the books of the things that were written. But God shows us enough that we could trust in him. He showed Elijah that he could order the very ravens to feed him. He showed Elijah that he was able to enable a a destitute widow to meet his needs. Over and over again, God trained Elijah in trust. God knows that trust is something that is earned. And he knows the power of trust in each and every one of our lives. That's why he lays such an emphasis on our counting on our blessings. Count your every blessings. See what God has done. Repeatedly throughout Scripture, God tells us to be thankful, to rejoice, to focus on what he has done in our lives. And this is more than just a religious activity. It's a training ground in trust. If Elijah had not been trained in trust, he probably wouldn't have been ready when the time of testing came. And in the same way, if we don't train ourselves in trusting God, we will not have the strength to stand in that time of testing. So in closing this morning, the question for you this morning is this. Who do you trust? One man made this observation. If you trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment, If you trust in money, you will have it taken from you. But trust in God, and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. Hebrews tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That kind of faith is more than just believing that God exists. It is a faith that has learned to trust God because of what 
God has done for us. That God that sent his only begotten son while we were yet sinners, that whosoever should believeth in him, repent and be baptized. And be thou found faithful unto death that you could receive that crown of life. That is the God that is set up for us. We know Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. This morning, we look at ourselves and ask that question, who do we trust? We think about God and the promises that he has made. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. We know we are asked to believe in God. If there's anybody in our audience that needs to be baptized or ask for the prayers of the congregation, whatever your need is, you can make it right as together we stand and sing our song of invitation.